and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where are we going? Where did we come from? Why didn't anyone design this monstrosity that is open source? These are great questions, which we hope to answer completely and fully in this podcast today. Before we get to our guests, I'm going to introduce the other panelists. We have Alyssa Wright. Hi, all. Nice to be here. Justin Dorfman. Hey, everyone. Eric Berry. Hey, it's great to be here, everybody. And me, Richard Littauer. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is a longtime sustainer. I'm pretty sure they've been to all, if not most, of the sustain events, including the one in Africa. Errol Fox is the head of design at Open Food Networks, also working on a PhD at Newcastle Uni, which is across the country from Bristol, where they're calling from. Errol, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've had a very busy day. Got a quote unquote design PR push today, and we'll talk more about that. But yeah, it was a busy day with lots of good achievements, I think. Excellent. Productivity, capitalism, and satisfied. Hooray! What do you mean by a design PR? Essentially, it's just a piece of design work that is related to a piece of development work that wants to go into the pipeline. I try and use development language as much as I possibly can with my design, especially within the Open Food Network at the moment, where they are very new to design processes, especially ones that are so closely connected to the development team. Essentially, it is a big piece of design work that is very UI based, very revolutionary for actually the software that we're working on at the moment. It's an endeavor to ingratiate myself with the uh, development side of the project. So you are one of the hosts of Sustain Open Source Design, a new podcast run by Sustain, which is super cool. And so you have a lot of opinions on what design is. When you say a design PR, my initial thought is how is it not just a front-end PR? Because design is what you give to front-end people. So what do you mean by design in this case? Is it architecture design? Is it you're changing a button to be skeuomorphic? How would you define it? Yeah, tricky because over the last month, I would say a lot of my design work for the open source projects, both my sort of paid full-time, well, mostly full-time stuff and my contributions, it varies widely. But this specific one is very much like a set of new UI that will be tied to a new adoption of technology. So we're moving frameworks, essentially. So we're looking at how we can improve very janky and old UI that is uh, very circa early 2000s looking. And it is, I think, it does it a disservice to really talk about it as just like a UI uplift because that really plays into this false narrative that design is just about making things look better. But what it is also doing is improving the experience for the, these users of a backend system, which is deeply complex. And the users are farmers, people that grow produce. They're not really people that do technology regularly. And it really is a part to the part it's playing that's really important is about, okay, how have we worked with the community, which is actually really interesting with an open food network because they participate with the open source from a research, we're giving insights, we're involved in the process, but they really need a lot of help. And that's actually where the design has stepped in as well. So it's not just about this PR, this design PR is not just about the UI that's been improved, but it's really about the whole process from first conceiving of, okay, what do we want to improve? How can we improve it iteratively? How can we do that in conjunction with this new 
framework choice. What framework choice will we choose given the elements that are being designed around the needs of the users? And how are those users and community members actually being involved in that process? And how are we making that process open source as well, which is what we talk about when we talk about UX research and user research being part of the open source design process. It seems like the terminology around design and designers has changed over the past years. And so how would you say is the best way to speak about design and how best to speak about it without offending anyone? So the language question is very valid. It's something that I get semi-regularly when I talk to lots of different people actually about open source design, not just people within the open source community, but designers themselves. We also have this uh, challenge of understanding the language that is used with the projects that we want to be part of, especially if it's in a contribution kind of way and, and less of a formalized work kind of aspect. But I think one of the best things that I can say around that is something that i started to build into some of the workshops that I was giving at things like conferences, like All Things Open and Open Source 101, which was really about how to construct labeling structures within your repositories, how to not necessarily make it too broad, but also not too rigid. So you've got a lot of repositories out there, a lot of open source projects that kind of have a label or they talk about like a design in a very broad term, like this needs design. And there's too much going on there. You're not quite sure actually what wants to happen. And I think that what a lot of people within open source could do is likely just think a little bit more about what the problems you're looking to solve actually, are they something to do with not really understanding what somebody wants to do within this certain aspect of the software? Is it something that you need more information on? Therefore, you could start to think about how that is more about the user research usability information gathering side of things? Or is it um, purely about the an interaction that is actually not happening in the way that you wanted it to? And, and then you're talking more in terms of like interaction design and things like that. But you go the other way and have too many very detailed kind of design labels, and then it, it gets a little, it gets a tricky in a kind of different way. But one of the things that I suggest is that you can start broad, but inviting designers to help you specify what you're actually looking for and the things you want and need within the issue is completely reasonable and completely valid. It's something that I've seen do really well in, in the projects that I've been involved in and support. The designers are also there and also reasonably well-trained within the design field to help you discover what actually needs to be done within this task. And to go a little bit historical for the second part of the question, which was about evolving, it means in terms of like design and its relationship to open source. And this is where I out myself as a fairly open source newbie. I've really only been hanging out in the scene, <laughs> if we can call it a scene for like about four years when I joined Ushahidi as the designer there, one of the designers there at Ushahidi. And from my understanding and my very speedy reading of the various history, a lot of design in the early days of open source was termed as usability. If you read older papers, it is referenced as usability, but it's referenced as usability in not necessarily the same kind of framing languages that maybe design papers and maybe design projects would have been termed. So you are seeing this coming together of the design practices that kind of happening 
commercial proprietary tech kind of places. But yeah, in general, design is evolving as well. We're really, I think, only just becoming familiar with the term user experience design. I remember when I started out generally as a designer over kind of 10 years ago, user experience design didn't exist. I started doing it as a digital designer, but yeah, it's, I would say user experience design is something that is really young as far as a profession goes. So it's no wonder that it's not quite entered into common open source project vocabulary. But one of the great things about having lots of designers wanting to do lots of user experience work, wanting to practice it, wanting to develop those skills around technology projects is you've got so, so many designers itching to work on projects and the amount of messages that I get aren't like, I don't get like a onslaught of mail from designers asking uh, where to go for projects, but it's a fair amount that sort of say, where can I go and what can I do and how do I do it? And all these kinds of um, this desire to really get involved in it and see it as an opportunity to really be part of the community and improve technology and also practice those skills. I was curious. I often think about this as well. In another life, 20 years ago, I considered myself a designer when all I was doing was creating simple interfaces. And then Bootstrap came out. And I think after that, everybody thought they were a designer. Or maybe they thought they didn't need designers anymore. And as you said, that role has changed. I'm curious. Programming is one of those fields where if you can really understand how to study and have a logical mind, you can typically become very successful at it. Being a designer and a UX person, especially, to me, that almost seems like it might require an additional level of talent that might just be natural to some people and not to others. That's looking from the outside in. I was wondering uh, what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, this is the kind of mystical dark art that sometimes design it has actually been marketed as in, in the wider sort of industry. And it's something that I find deeply unpalatable. And many of my open source design peers also find it reasonably unpalatable as well. It's come from an interesting history, in which I won't go into, where designers have had a reasonably rough time of having their professional credentials challenged, their work undervalued as something that's creative and therefore not as skilled, I guess you could say, or as higher paid, where I often got the comments of, you're doing something fun because you're looking at colors all day, which I'm not. And also I remember I was so fond of one of the backend developers I worked with in my first job, but he routinely would ask me what I was coloring in that day, which is tricky to hear as a designer, especially when you want to engage with a wider community of developers and people that do cool stuff with tech. But I think it's a really interesting question because I get this a lot from younger folks that want to transition into design or anybody that wants to transition into design. You don't have to be younger. But UX design is a really interesting field because many of the people practicing UX design or user-centered design or human-centered design don't necessarily come from the academic structures which have historically produced designers, which are visual designers or graphic designers. A lot of our academic institutions, I can speak for the UK for sure, still teach a lot of graphics-related subjects and graphics-related projects. And they don't really delve, until more recently, delve into the kind of world of user experience. So you've actually got a lot of people coming from English degrees or English courses, media, journalism, psychology, 
sociology or the anthropological sciences. And I actually think that, and marketing as well, actually, I've got a lot of people that have come from marketing. And really, I do think, and I, I know that there are some designers, especially that would disagree with me, but I do think that one of the things you really need, one of the only things you really need as a, a user experience designer is a curiosity for solving human problems and thinking about why people do the things that they do. And this is just in relation to open source technology or some kind of technology. So it sometimes feels like a mystical art, but it does have a science behind it. It's got processes, it's got lots of different kinds of methodologies and ways of doing things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have that kind of special something, something. We talk a lot about empathy in the design sort of world, and we put it on a pedestal of this is a skill or a trait or, or something like that. So you can operationalize a lot of the empathy processes as well. So it's not something that's innate skill. I think it's the interest and the inclination to solve problems. And I see that in a lot of devs. I think one of the things is, and I've seen this in the open source projects that I've worked on, where we've done big user research projects, like field studies, gone and spoken to users and asked them what they want and what they expect. And I always make a point of being as welcoming as I possibly can with the tech teams that I work with. And I remember the developers working on the project were nervous to be part of the user interviews and the user research at first. But as we did more and more of those, the energy and the enthusiasm, and then the amount of time that some of those developers then stayed up late into that night writing issues and trying to refactor certain parts of the prototype that we built. It really is something that I think the more that we make design accessible within these spaces, the more that it will become something that is not only for a certain kind of group of people. Thank you for clarifying that, by the way. And I hope you don't think that I don't have absolute respect for the role that you fill. So many times I've worked with companies where that role historically has not really been defined but that's always been the missing piece with the companies that I've been with in the past, including my current company. Earlier, you mentioned that you have a process of going through and finding the right technologies and whatnot. I was curious, having been involved, you've been doing this for over 10 years, having been involved and seeing the evolution of these technologies come about, do you have any preferences? Do you see the direction of technology leading to a way where maybe everything is going to become modularized components. What's your approach to that? This was a question I wasn't necessarily expecting, but it's a good one. It's a very useful one. I think the question around components and libraries and, and things that make building things from building blocks, essentially, more accessible is great, especially when you've got potential people that want to put together something really quickly. Or one of the things that I love about some of these frameworks is that, and I would love to explore more when I have more time, which is the endless search for time, more time, is that a lot of these frameworks and a lot of these kinds of things are open source. And I was having conversations with Adobe at one point. I say Adobe and then I make a noise because they're not best liked in a lot of circles. But I was having this conversation about like, how do we let designers know that don't necessarily know that these frameworks that they also kind of use in their proprietary commercial design software, they're also kind of open source and there could be a relationship there. And there are a lot of people that just don't know that. There are a lot of designers that just don't know that the way that they could 
begin to get involved in open source from a very design perspective is improving on some of these component based kits. So generally, I think it's good. I think there's a lot of work to be done on that side of the things, like the community side of things, like actually structures for designers to find projects more accessible and understand them better is definitely something that is lacking across the board. But I also think that one of the things that is missing a lot from these kinds of component libraries or these kinds of things that are able to build software really quickly is the stuff that we've talked about already, like the kind of okay, so you've got this component that will do X, but why does it need to do X in this context? And that's the kind of thing that a library is not going to tell you. So it's going to give you the ability to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the different kinds of functions. But what it's not going to tell you, what it's not going to lay out for you necessarily is in this specific context, when this kind of user is using it for this purpose, is it best to do this or this, then this? And what are the expectations? What's the journey? That's not necessarily something that I think could be built into a library. There's definitely documentation that can be done and, and great guides that can be done. But a lot of it's going to largely be contextual to the needs and the users, essentially. Speaking of Adobe, I use Adobe products. I've been using Photoshop for, I hate to age myself, but close to 20 years. And it's always open. <laughs> and I'm a big open source person, as some might know. People in the past have been going, yeah, but why don't you just use GIMP? And I'm like, because GIMP sucks. <laughs> For me, it doesn't work. I need my key bindings the way they are. So, oh, but you could redo your key. I just want Photoshop, okay? So my question to you is, what is your tool set? Do you only rely on open source tools or... Are you working with Figma? By the way, I love Figma, but that's another topic. What are you using day to day? I both love and uh, fear this question because again, it's so polarizing. Uh, I guess a lot of things are polarizing in this space though as well, but there is a lot of really interesting discussion uh, from designers in both the open source design space and the general design space. So I can tell you about my toolset. My toolset currently is mostly Figma, a little bit of Zeppelin, which is something for Sketch. Interestingly enough, because a previous open source designer on the project that I'm working on at Open Food Network used that for a project. At the moment, I'm largely using Figma. I've actually never used Figma before Open Food Network. Amazing. Uh, it's fantastic. It, it works really well. Designer work on stuff in front of my eyes. My fiance is watching TV and I'm watching Figma and I'm just like, look at this. She just rolls her eyes. And <laughs> anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, I love that feature. I both love and hate that feature, right? Because there is a nervousness around. So we were talking briefly about design being a bit mystical and a bit of a dark art yes. and not being accessible essentially to other colleagues or other people that you're doing stuff with. And that, it really exposes it. And this is where we start to talk about open design within the context of open source design. So doing design openly and open source design are very interconnected, but they're very complicated territory to talk about because designers in the design community, like the kind of the Adobe Maxes, the big design conferences are talking more about how do we design more openly and expose the processes and involve more people but they aren't necessarily starting to talk about it from an open source perspective. But I 
very much like yourself, I've used GIMP, I've used Inkscape, I've used a lot of open source design tools. I've tried to. Oh, before Figma, I used to use Adobe XD a lot. It worked so well for what I needed it to do. And I just found like the open source alternatives just one were not as accessible for me as a designer, having used other things professionally for so many years. And I don't think it's their fault, honestly. They're underfunded. They don't have the resources these big companies do. But I think there's an interconnected issue here, which is about what we are taught as designers and what is industry standard. So when I started to consider moving to open source design tools, like with the Open Food Network, they are really supportive of this. They were as supportive of my productivity in a current commercial design software as the opportunity to start using open source design tools. And one of the ones that I was really interested in is a new one called Penpot, which is pretty, pretty exciting stuff. But there's some loads of other stuff that I'm excited about. There's something called Cactus with a K, which is about versioning and things like that. But um, yeah, they were really keen for me to spend time investigating how I could start to build the designs in open source software. But if I needed to have a job somewhere else and not be an open source organization, maybe I go back to commercial because still, as we said, a lot of open source organizations don't really hire designers often or stably. I would be going to interviews at other companies saying, oh, I've been using this thing called Penpot. And they'd be like, what is that? Do you not use this and this? So I would have to double my effort to stay relevant with the commercial technologies as well as open source. I think that the industry is becoming less obsessed with, you must be this at at Figma, Wizard, Rockstar, all these kinds of gross words, but there's less importance on the tool that you use and more your processes. But still, I have had nightmarish daydreams about going to future interviews and saying, oh, I use, you know, this open source tool to do my design and just being either laughed out the room or kind of just looked at with that glaze of puzzled and then having a long conversation about open source and again, being shown the, shown the door perhaps. It's a culture shift. We need to start doing more. It actually makes me really excited to have worked with organizations like Adobe and had those conversations. And I think that we need to have more of them. I think we should just kill the stigma and say, work with the tool that works for you. If you're going to go dig a hole, you're not going to use a a rake. You're going to use a shovel. And sometimes you're going to use a tractor. Like what are those bobcats that just like, I use rake all the time on my Jekyll websites. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, rake you is a great such a tool. nerd. You're such a nerd. I love it. I, actually, one of the things that really changed my life was uh, someone telling me you can use whatever tool you want that works for your workflow. Because I right. got told hard when I was a young developer, don't ever use source tree, only use Git. Don't mm-hmm. ever use GUI. And I'm like, it's really useful for seeing diffs. I'm sorry. And then someone's like, you can do whatever you want. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Stop being shamed, everyone. Open your eyes. No, but anyway, what I'm trying to get at is just because you're working in open source doesn't mean you have to use only open source stuff. You're not Richard Stallman. You could use what's going to be good for you because at the end of the day, we all have very limited time on earth relative to everything else. So why fuss and use something that is frustrating you? So that's where I was getting at. So 
The statement of use the tool that you want to use in order to do the best work that you can do is so important, especially when we think about open source designers that want to do contributions and a lot of them being one new to open source and often new to design. And one of the things they're looking at getting out of that contribution relationship is something that they can show to future employers, something that they can put in their portfolio, something that they can really be proud of. If we are, as open source projects, demanding that those early career designers are using open source tools to produce that, we are not supporting them in thriving as a designer and building the skills that they need to become employed. So it's got that aspect to it as well. Well said. You've worked in a map design context and I come from an open map background. So I was wondering... How do you apply these design guidelines for when you think about map design? Ushihidi is an organization that was so inclusive of design as a practice that it still affects me now when I think about how open and ready they were for for design processes within their open source tools. I think that one of the things that really stands out as uh, of huge importance at Ushihidi within the design side of things. So there was the mapping aspect of the Ushihidi platform tool, but there was also how people submitted information to that mapping platform. So it was all about crowdsourcing data from people to that map and, and then how people interacted with that map as well. So there were lots of things about how do people explore data within the map? How do they take it in, use it? How do they digest it? How do governments digest it? How do civil society organizations digest it? All those kinds of challenges from not only a development perspective, but a design perspective. But one of the things that always stands out for me was how we captured and collected that information and how Ushihidi really put an importance on designing the experiences for people that are working with perhaps older devices, perhaps devices that have poor connectivity, devices that only have SMS capability. Not only how is that collected functionally from the tech point of view, but also how do you differentiate that within the visual aspect of things? This is getting really nerdy kind of UI design side of things. I just want to say I worked alongside another fantastic designer at Ushihidi. His name is Justin Shearer and he is fantastic. I highly recommend that you also check out what he's up to. He's working on cool SMS mobile finance technology at the moment as well. But we were designing an interface where somebody would be using a device that had a limit, a character limit for different text messages. But maybe there was a series of different kinds of sentences that they needed to submit because they wanted to submit quite complex information to these mapping platforms about human rights. If people aren't familiar with Ushihidi, it's about a lot about human rights and a lot about election monitoring and crisis response. So quite complex information. And it was really the interface and the UI interface was about how to give feedback to somebody as they're filling in a text entry box with how many characters they have left and how much it's going to cost them or the organization that is then paying for that text message and SMS information on behalf of that responder. There's loads of really cool user testing we did there, loads of cool interaction design we did there. A lot of it was done within the Ushihidi open source team before we went out to our users. But yeah, tons of nerdy design related things as far as Ushihidi goes. Loads of really great problems to solve there. 
OCD is awesome, but it's also not where you're currently working. Open Food Networks, you mentioned earlier briefly that it's something for farmers. It sounds like my fridge. What is Open Foods Network and how does it work? Yeah, Open Food Network, it's an open source e-commerce platform. So it's actually built off of some other e-commerce open source tool many years ago. But the founders really wanted to have a system where producers, small producers, so you're talking your local beekeeper, your local small grower, maybe somebody up the road that makes their own kombucha or pickles or wants to sell what they're producing, but a way for them to have a platform of which to sell their produce, but also loads of other stuff um, goes on in Open Food Network. So the mission for them is about having a platform that promotes slow food, shorter food supply chains and less kind of impact on the environment, essentially but also really empowers and enables the local growers, the food producers to give them access to their own technology. So yeah, it's a fascinating tool, but it's very complicated. Not unlike Ishihidi, actually, it's got a lot of different kinds of legacy tech debt stuff that's going on there. A lot of what might be a new term for you folks, which is like UX debt. I've had conversations recently, as recent as this week with my team about how when lots of PRs get pushed by contributors or paid members of staff, they actually might be solving tech debt, but they might actually be creating user experience debt. And this was a very new term for them. So I'm introducing those kinds of things and complexities around that. But yeah, it's a great tool. It's international. So the most used instances are in Australia, the UK and France, but there's instances across India, in Turkey, in Canada and the US. It's a great place to go if you want to check out what local food is available and tons of great open good first issues for anybody wanting to do any any contributions. Nice. For listeners, she just waggled her eyebrows. So please go ahead and do that. So that's really great. We are running up on time and I want to make sure I mention that you are not only involved with Open Food Network. While it's really great, that is your main job and it sounds awesome. And I really want to introduce it to my local honey makers. But one of the things I'm curious about is you're also on the Sustained Open Source Design podcast. You're a member of the Open Source Design community, which everyone should check out if you like design and open source code. It's on GitHub. Very welcoming. Probably the largest GitHub organization I know of in terms of people who are active and have their profiles turned on. You can see that they're members of it. Do you publish things? Do you ever give talks? Do you have a website? Do you have resources for young UX people? Do you have resources for old UX people? What else do you do? I do lots of things. I like doing lots of things. I'm a very community-minded person. I think one of the things that drew me to open source was I did a lot of community development work in my sort of early 20s and open source to get a bit mushy for a second. It really gave me the same kind of feelings that I had when I was really involved in my local community development project. So that's why it felt incredibly natural to be part of the open source community and maybe why it feels like I've been around for a a long time. But yeah, I probably best described as the most annoyingly active person on the open source design forum. I unofficially host the community, monthly community calls. I make sure notes are taken. We're currently doing a UX clinic at FOSS backstage, which I'm wrangling for. I'm part of a couple of other things that, which are to do with human rights, but also open source things. So that's the Human Rights Centered Design Group. 
Really excited this year to be starting to progress some of the stuff around open design, which was a project that I started at Ushahidi that was funded by Adobe, which is a really a big repository of how we started to do open design activities within Ushahidi. So workshop uh, templates, how to run workshops on your open source tools for designers, lots of different research that we did. I had lots of conversations with the people that did the open design process at Mozilla and the uh, original founders of OpenIDO and some other people that are doing some open source design stuff in the space. The, one of the people that work at simple.org have got some amazing design documentation. Lots of really great resources on the open design repository, which I forked onto my own personal profile. I'm really excited to be doing more stuff this year on that. And yeah, there's lots of workshops and lots of different talks around what we learned on that project. So 2020 was really the year that I did a lot of summarizing talks around what we learned when we did open design as part of Ushahidi and what we hope to do in the future with that kind of work. And I'm really interested at the moment, and my FOSTEM talk coming up is about mentoring because I've really seen it as I've been more involved in the open source community in a design kind of way. And I've been doing lots of different things like workshops for not only open source projects and maintainers and contributors, but also the designers in the design world. This is how you would talk to a project. This is how you would get involved. And then from the other perspective, this is how you talk to designers. This is how you ask them to be involved. I am really interested in mentoring because a lot of us in the open source design community are stretched thin. There's not enough of us. And what we really need to be focusing on, if we are to have a sustainable open source design community, is to be telling people about what we've learned, how we do it, to be leading by example, to be supporting younger. And when I say younger designers, I just mean new to open source designers, you know, how to start their own journey into open source design contributions. Yeah, I'm really interested in how we start to push forward mentoring and schemes that would support that as well. Maybe one day we'll see as many projects that are design related in Outreachy and Google Summer of Code. And maybe even at some point we'll see a whole scheme, which is just for designers in open source. I have a dream. <laughs> I agree. I agree. We want this. I love that answer because there's so many things that you just mentioned and you are prolific for those of you who did not realize that when you signed on to listen to this podcast. The best place to find the links that Errol just mentioned are in the show notes. They are available. Another place you could go is actually Errol Does Design, EroldoesDesign.com. Yes, it is, .com. Also, Errol's GitHub profile is really good at just summarizing what they're doing. And it's a great place to go check things out. They have requests there like a mentoring partnership for a co-op in OSS Design for Early Career Designers, which they just talked about. So thank you so much for that. You can reach Errol on Errol Does Design at Twitter or their email is publicly available at EroldoesDesign at gmail.com. I see that on GitHub, so I figure feel okay mentioning it here. For listeners who don't know how to spell Errol, it is E-R-I-O-L. Yep, not that hard but hard to pronounce if you've only seen it written. But thank you so much. And sorry to wrap that up. It's just, I want to get onto Spotlight. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Super glad that you've come on and shared all these super awesome links. Now is the time of the show where we talk about things that have helped us out in the past, projects that need a little love or open source 
things that are great. Yes, spotlight. So, Eric Berry, you look thoughtful. What is your spotlight today? I actually have a couple. The first one is the open source design website. You go to opensourcedesign.net, especially under the resources tab. There is a plethora of free resources for you to use in your design efforts. So it's a a fantastic collection. The other thing I'm going to share, and I often talk about my 3D printer because 3D printing is fun and why not? I just moved and before the show, I was trying to set up my microphone and I couldn't because I was missing a certain part. It's a little tiny screw that fits in between the tripod and the microphone. So I actually found that and just 3D printed one and it worked perfectly. So it took about a half hour to print and now I've got my microphone working perfect. So anyway, it's just one of those fun 3D print things. So if you don't have one, if you're interested in that type of stuff, it's so handy. I make little things for the house all the time. It's an absolute blast to get into. I also printed a Bernie Sanders with the mittens and he's sitting on my bookshelf right now. So it's good stuff. As a Vermonter, I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome spotlights. Justin Dorfman. All right. All right. Check this out. So Notifier for GitHub. It's a browser extension. It's by Sindre Sahoris. I think that's how you pronounce it. But Sahoris. You know, he, oh, yes. He writes pretty much every JavaScript library out there. But I joined a company and we recently got one of our projects accepted to the CNCF Sandbox program. And now I'm getting a lot of GitHub notifications and I'm missing them. So now it's in my browser. It shows me how many notifications I have to deal with. So thank you, Sindre. And uh, yeah, check it out. I'm so sorry that you now have to deal with notifications. That sounds horrendous. <laughs> it is. Alyssa, what's your spotlight? I'd like to spotlight Open Web Docs. This was announced uh, earlier this week, and it's a consortium of a number of companies, actually 100 backers, large and small, to support high-quality like technical documentation on the web. It's really exciting. The kind of breadth of this work, the collaboration that's happening across uh, so many different types of entities. And we're really excited on the open source collective side to be able to support this type of work on all different levels. So check it out. (laughs) I pass uh, the potato to Errol. I feel like I need to say something cool now. What's up, kids? It's it's your boy. (laughs) (laughs) My spotlight is something called Jamulus and Jamulus is spelled J-A-M-U-L-U-S. You can find it at jamulus.io and it is a, a piece of open source software which is about playing music together remotely with your friends. So it's about jamming remotely through this interface with your friends. And the reason that I highlight it is because I had a designer ask me in DMs, say, I really want to contribute to this project, but I don't know how, can you help me a couple of weeks ago? And I said, yeah, let's jump upon a call. Let's figure it out. So we figured it out. And now they are leading a group of a few designers that have been hanging about in the repository for a little while. And they are really getting things kicked off with the design contributions there. And one of which is an issue for creating a whole new set of instrument icons for Jamulus, which I think is super cool for any designer that wants to do illustration, icon design, who wouldn't love to design like a drum icon. So definitely check it out. Awesome. Thank you. 
My spotlight today is not a package, but a person, Simon Vincentian. Um, Vincent Jan, probably one of my best friends by far. We hitchhiked from San Francisco to Vancouver once, currently a front-end developer in San Francisco area. But he also introduced me to open source design. He used to run a newsletter called UX Weekly, which had thousands of subscribers before he shut it down for no obvious reason. He doesn't have a website that I could find. He shut down Twitter years ago. His Instagram was just photos of bread. But it doesn't mean I can't point out that pretty much every designer I've ever met has someone behind them who introduced them to design who they look up to. And Simon is mine. So I just feel like he should get a shout out today. And that's it for our episode. Errol, you're also one of those people who makes me feel like design is larger than I thought it was before I talked to you. So thank you so much. This podcast was great. It's great having you on. And I look forward to continuing to sustain open source design. And in case you feel like that wasn't enough, do not worry. There is a lot more to discuss with Errol about design and open source. We have a new podcast, which has been published by the time this podcast was published at sosdesign.sustainoss.org. Sustain Open Source Design is all about UX and open source and where they interface. There's Errol Fox as one of the panelists, Perry Omeja as a second one, George Bullen, Justin Flory, Memo with Sparza, and me. So if you're interested in talking about design, please feel free to check us out. SOSdesign.sustainoss.org or sustain open source design anywhere podcasts are found. Thank you.